gathered in His name to worship Christ the Lord. Oh, worship Him, Jesus Christ the Lord. Oh, let us lift up Magnify His name to worship Him. Oh, and let us lift up holy hands and magnify His name to worship Him. Oh, and let us lift up holy hands and magnify His name to worship Christ the Lord. Oh, worship Him, Jesus Christ the Forget about yourself and concentrate on Him to worship Him. And just forget about yourself and concentrate on Him and worship Him. yourself and concentrate on Him to worship Christ the Lord. Oh, worship Him, Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. We'll go ahead and change the order of the service here real quick. I'm running on a little bit of time limit. Uh, if you would just play something softly for us. Uh, if you would just have your seats for just a moment. I won't make you stand too long. We just want to remember uh, the Morleys this morning. They are out of town. And uh, we just want to remember them that they would have travel mercies with them. Uh, just remember Brother Jaron this morning. He is at work. And uh, remember Brother Ben McCafferty this morning. He is not here with us as well. We want to remember Chris and Cassie Clayville. They will be home tomorrow, but they are traveling. Just remember uh, Sister Tracy Holloway. She is still sick this week. Also still remember uh, Sister Mary Smith. Uh, we just want to remember Brother Troy and Sister Connie. They are away this morning. Also, I have here a request for Sister Hannah Whitlock. Um, she is not feeling well this morning, so if you would just remember her. And also, I have here that uh, Sister Amber McCall will be having a heart cath procedure this week. So if you would just please remember her. Um, at this time, uh, 
If I could just have Brother Mark come and pray over these requests real quick. If you would just come on and uh, go ahead and just stand with me again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, it's a privilege, Lord, and a joy in, in our hearts, Lord, to be here this morning, Father. Lord, we look forward to your word coming forward, Lord, and there's always something, Lord, that comes forward that we can latch on to, Lord, to, that will help us and give us strength, Lord, to go this journey, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us and chose us, Father, for this time that we're living in, Lord, strange times, Lord, but we thank you, Lord, that you've ordained us to be here. Pray, Lord, in each heart, Lord, we fulfill the purpose that you have for us, Father, to be living in these days, Lord. Use us for your glory, Lord. May we be a blessing to each other, to everyone that we come in contact with, Lord. May they see our lives, Lord, and see an example, Lord, and know that there is a God, Father. And may we influence them, Lord, to to serve you, Lord, and and uh, to, to love you, Father. Lord, there are many requests that was made this morning, Lord, many traveling in our way. We pray that you'll be with them and grant them traveling mercies to and from their destinations. Lord, these that are sick, Lord, and we pray that you'll, you'll touch them, Lord. Lord, there's many that you have touched, Lord, and we thank you for answering prayers, Lord. We, our prayers we, we know are not in vain, Father. Do not fall on deaf ears, but go before your throne of mercy, Lord, and you hear and you answer prayer, Lord. So we come again every time we come, Lord. We believe that we'll hear good report for these that we pray for, Father. And Lord, with the coming forth of your word, we pray bless your servant, Lord, Brother Barry, as he comes, Lord. Anoint him, Lord, and anoint our hearts to receive your word. And may each receive, Lord, exactly what you would have us to, to hear. Granted, Father, we commit all these things rest of the service into your hands. We thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have your seats again. Let's put it in G here real quick. We'll sing a kind of a fast one. Daylight savings time has got me kind of, I lost that hour of sleep. So I <laughs> need a little bit of uh, need a fast song here. Let's sing that song when we all get to heaven.
But a shadow, not a sign When we all get to hell What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory One glimpse of Him in glory Will the toils of life repay Oh, and we all get to heaven What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory Tread the streets of gold And when we all get to heaven What a day of rejoice that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory song Waymaker. We hadn't sung that one in a while, so. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in Touching every 
promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Oh, waymaker, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are here and touching every life. I worship you. I worship you. Oh, you are stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working even when i can't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working and even when i don't see it you're working can't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you, I worship you. Oh, you are here.
preparation for the going forth of the word. What a wonderful atmosphere. Lord, we know that in his way, Satan hides under every rock. Tries to avoid the light because he hates the light. But Lord, you are always aware of the needs of your people. And so today, Lord Jesus, we stand together in prayer and trusting in your presence, Lord, that it will do the the work that only the Holy Spirit can do, to dig deep, to discern the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And as we approach the word this morning, Lord, in fear and in trembling, we just ask that you would just come in your great sovereign mercy, Lord, and just speak to every heart and every soul. We give you our time. We give you this place. We give you our minds and our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would just come and move among us in a very special way. There are many needs, Lord, that are listed. There are many people who are not here. And we, in good faith, we commit them to you, Lord, and the needs they have. The ones who are hurting now, reaching out for help and strength and your healing touch. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bind up their wounds and minister peace and healing to each one. I commit the day into your hands. And I pray now in a very special and a very personal way that you'd move in on the scene now. And, Lord, just take the word and apply it to every heart. May we not look at one another, 
But Lord, may we look at ourselves through the filter of your word. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. But we always want to be mindful that your grace is sovereignly given. And we never, ever want to allow the grace of God to become common to us. As Brother Mark prayed today, Lord, may we just have an open heart and an open mind and a willingness to listen to the things that are real and important to us. Have your way now, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. While you're standing, take your Bible, if you don't mind. We're going to look in the Scripture and take a little reading, and then I'll give you just a couple of announcements. We'll go right into the lesson this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 7, sorry, chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Put a marker there because we're going to come and go from there. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Good to see all of you here today. Good to have all of you in the house of the Lord. Nice to see Bill Walters here. And uh, we miss you, Brother Bill, when you're not here. Appreciate those pictures of the sunsets that he sends me every now and then, traveling to and fro around the country. And uh, appreciate uh, all of you being here today. May God bless you. And uh, always nice to see your smiling faces. For Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. It came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the same of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abiah. And they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, money, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Enough is enough. They said, Behold, thou art old, thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of, the, out, out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, and so do they also unto thee. Now therefore, hearken unto their voice, howbeit, nevertheless, protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. I want to take a text from verse 9. He says, hey, that's what they want. Give them their way. People are going to do what they're going to do, but protest solemnly. I'd like to title this this morning, A Solemn Protest. May God add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. Sister Amber McCall uh, is not here today. She's uh, not feeling well at all and texted me just before the service, so we want to remember her in prayer. Uh, Also, I'd like to remember uh, Brother... Ben Davis, and uh, many of you may not know Brother Ben. He's uh, just a faithful uh, brother, really suffered a long time and has the virus and uh, just dealing with some issues, so we want to remember Brother Ben Davis. Brother Ben McCafferty also is not here today. The McCafferty family is here, but Brother Ben is not here, and he's had problems with his back ongoing for a while. And uh, we sure want to hold up Brother Ben. I'd like you to take that need seriously, and just if you're making a list of prayer requests, write that one down. 
and uh, we want to hold up our brother Ben in prayer, and um, he struggled with this issue now for a while, and uh, we, just, we just need to take it a little higher and, and just join our hearts together as a, as a congregation uh, to pray that God will give him strength. As most of you know, Sister Vicki Dunbar, who we've been talking about, she passed away on Thursday. Um, she battled a long time with the, uh, with the virus, was put on a ventilator. Uh, I talked to her husband last night, and uh, he's just obviously broken. Uh, and the family is, uh, you know, just dealing with the fact that uh, she was 54 years old. She, had, she was on no medication, a relatively healthy person. And uh, it just uh, got away on her, and uh, she's in glory tonight. So if you don't mind, remember uh, Brother Craig and Sister Sarah and uh, the family. It's been a great shock and a great loss to them. Also as well, uh, yesterday I was at a minister's meeting uh, conference. Brother Caleb was there. Brother Aaron was there with us as well. And uh, had a fine turnout of ministers there in South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, it was uh, a good opportunity to be able to go. They asked me to do a special presentation uh, for them and uh, had the opportunity to uh, minister to the ministers there yesterday. It was, it was nice. Uh, but uh, I was texting with Brother Jason Watkins because Brother Jason was supposed to be there and Friday night, and I was asking him, was he coming to the church? And Lo and behold, he was in the hospital getting a stent put in his uh, main artery. Uh, he was 99% blocked. It happened all of a sudden. And uh, so he, was, uh, he went successfully through the process. They tested him, tested him to death. And uh, he was released yesterday afternoon and is back home. Uh, he, I texted him this morning, and I said um, I was going to go down, actually, to the hospital. as I was two hours away. And I was going to go down to the hospital and pray for him, but I, I couldn't get into the hospital. It's hard to get into hospitals these days. Uh, so I, I texted him, and I said, um, is it all right if I put you on the prayer list this morning and let folks know? And he said, yeah, do that, but say this. He said, I want you to say this. He said, I'm feeling improved, and these are his words, feeling improved and looking forward to all that the Lord evidently has left for me to do. So he didn't have a heart attack. He just had a cardi- what they call a cardiac episode and uh, knew that there was something wrong. They took him in. They inter- intervened quickly and uh, got the stent put in there. So uh, he's doing better, and we're thankful for that. Uh, you know, it, we have to look after the old people, and, and uh, at his age, you know, we want to hold Brother Jason up in prayer and just trust that the Lord will give him complete recovery. After our service today, we begin the process of dismantling this sanctuary, and we move back into our uh, sanctuary again. And uh, if you got my email uh, last night that I sent out, I've just really been behind all this week, and there's so many, many things going, so many things that are happening, not only here, but around and around the world. I just haven't been able to keep up, so I, or it's been very difficult to keep up, quite honestly. Uh, but... Uh, Next, after, after service today, they're going to begin the process of dismantling this, this sanctuary and moving back. And then, Lord willing, uh, Sunday we'll be back in our new sanctuary and uh, uh, enjoying the, uh, all the improvements and updates that are, uh, that are over there. 
So this week we have to dismantle everything. You've got to take apart all the music instruments, sound, everything, and move it all back uh, into, the, uh, into the new sanctuary. So because of that, whether we do in-person or broadcast, we don't have a sound system, audiovisual. So we're not going to have service on this Wednesday night. And we'll give the brothers a time to be able to uh, you know, systematically get that set up over there. So forgive us this Wednesday night. We won't have service because we won't be able to... Uh, juggle all the, the broadcasting with everything taken apart. Uh, we may need some help from some brothers. If we do, we'll let you know, uh, doing some chairs and a few other things over there. But uh, the brothers have been very well organized and very uh, efficient at kind of breaking down all the jobs and getting it done and uh, portioning things out. So, you know, we are certainly indebted to Brother Ben uh, and his crew and Brother Jeremy and his crew and uh, John and the work that he's done and uh, just several others, and, and we'll recognize all of them, but uh, just uh, looking very nice over there, and I think you're going to be impressed, and I trust you'll feel right at home and just kind of slide back in uh, in, your, in your pew, and uh, it'll be nice and familiar, and, and uh, it'll be all different. So uh, we're looking forward to it. So this Wednesday night we won't have uh, a service. We're just going to do that interruption tonight and uh, get back uh, on our feet over there Again, so if that's all right. <clears throat> Let's look in the scripture here this morning. and We're going to do this the manual way, all right? I don't have a PowerPoint, so I want you to look in your Bible with me. And if you have your Bible, um, we're going to take a, a principle that I want to deal with this morning and <clears throat> share some things with you that were on my heart. I had a lot of different things on my plate, a lot of different things that I was contemplating about speaking about this morning. And late last night, I was just sitting, and, and uh, it was just like the Lord moved me to a certain scripture over here in the book of Samuel in his life story. And um, <clears throat> I want to preamble what I'm telling you with just a couple of statements here. In 1962, Brother Branham said, in the influence of another, how God blesses a man that will be true to the Word of God. He said, my, how God blesses a man that will be true to the Word of God. Now, he may not be very popular, but he'll be blessed. And how people has to take their choice now, whether they want to act like the rest of the fellows, the rest of the world, or whether they want to be blessed of God. And that choice is always yours. Whether you want to fit in, whether you want to be like everybody else, or whether you want to be blessed of God. And he said... That's, that's a choice that believers have to make. Now, you can, you can just take your choice, and if you're going to live like the rest of them, you'll be blessed of them. You might be popular or whatever else. But you turn all your desires to God, you'll be blessed of God. So you have to, and he quotes the scripture, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Always remember thy creator first and always. So he's referring to Joshua. Put your finger or something in First Samuel, and just go back to Joshua 21. And let's just pick up on what Brother Branham is quoting here. Joshua 21 and verse 43. <clears throat> the Bible says, And the Lord gave Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. So God gave them everything he promised, everything he said was going to come to pass. He's He's in the process of doing it. We're at the end of the book of Joshua here, moving into the Judges. It's all done, all finished. 
And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. And the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Read that last part with me. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Now, let's all read it together. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There wasn't a man capable of standing in front of the children of Israel. You know why? Because they had followed God fully. They had done what God had said. God had done what he said. This was an invincible army. There was not an enemy of the people of God that was able to stand. They were all, all gone. I need to draw your attention to the fact that Matt Cross is sitting in the back of the church there. God bless you, Matt. Good to have you. Still in recovery, but didn't want to recover at home. Verse 45. There fail not aught or any of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Say those four words with me. All came to pass. Everything God said, it all comes to pass. All done. It's all finished. Done deal. No arguments. No debate here. It's all done. And this is a people who, for example, have found favor with God. They're not interested in doing what everybody in the land is doing. They're following God. And that's why Brother Bram said, how God will bless a man who follows or is true to the word of God. Now, it would be elementary for me to say, I'm sure every one of us would want to be blessed of God. We don't want to follow the crowd. We want to be blessed of God. We want to singularly keep our eye on God, go where he goes, do what he says, believe what he teaches. Live the way God wants us to do, right? Every one of us would say that, and you'd say that because you're in church. So, that's an obvious thing. But you know what? That means nothing. really means nothing. Unless, unless your heart is in tune with what comes out of your mouth. That's what really counts. You know why? Because God even reprimanded Samuel in another place, and he said, Hey, God looks at the heart. He says, you look at men one way. Remember when he was trying to figure out who was king of Jesse's sons? And he said, ah, this guy here, Eliab, he looks like a king, tall, handsome, broad-shouldered. And God says, hey, stop. That's not how we pick a king. That's not how we look at men. We look at men from the heart first. And then we look at other stuff. But the heart comes first. So, uh, yeah, you might uh, agree, put your hand up, say yes, amen, brother. But that means nothing if your heart is not in tune with what's coming out of your mouth. So that's what matters, all right? So Brother Branham, uh, you know, he says um, in, in, in another little statement in 1963, he's in uh, Arizona, and he's with Brother Carlson and the full gospel businessman there. He's preambling in the beginning of the service. Uh, the, the name of the sermon is called Calling Jesus on the Scene. And Brother Carlson, he said in these sharp, cutting messages that I brought, he said, if I have intentionally tried to hurt somebody, God forgive me, I wouldn't do that for nothing. But yet, I'm a prisoner to this word. And see, I must stay right with it. I don't speak hard things to make people feel bad. I speak sharp things sometimes to make people look and see an exclamatory statement like, Oh, look! To make them look at it and see. Then maybe sometimes it provokes them. About nine out, of people, nine out of ten people, if they get provoked, they'll go to searching the Scripture, and God does the rest then. 
And that's the reason I feel duty-bound to explain the Scripture, just not try to explain it, but just say the way they are. So Brother Ram is not interested in interpreting the Scripture. You know, God is his own interpreter. But he says, sometimes I say hard things, and he said, I, I really am a prisoner to the Word. Let me repeat this again. He said, I don't speak hard things to make people feel bad, and neither do I. He said, I speak things sharp sometimes to make people look and exclamatory. And, and they say, oh, look, oh, wow, I never saw that. Wow, boom, shock. Sometimes a shock is not a bad thing, right? If you're sliding into a comatose uh, condition, shock's a good thing, right? Your heart wants to give out and uh, lay low for a while. Uh, we got a set of paddles down here that will make your heart think a little bit different. And that shock is a good thing. Sometimes God will give you a spiritual shock. Sometimes God does that. And he does it because, uh, there, you know, there, there's, there's uh, reasons. You know, sometimes you, you want to give out. You want to quit. You want to stop. You want to slow down. You want to do something different. And, and God will do that. And Brother Bram said, sometimes I say things in a certain way to cause that exclamatory, oh, look, and make them see. And here's the key. Then maybe sometimes it will provoke them. About nine out of ten people, if they get a little provoked, they'll go to the Scripture and God will do the rest then. So sometimes we as ministers, and especially pastors, you know, you see certain things and, uh, you know, you say certain things in a, in a way, hoping that things go away, and then ha, you realize they don't. So you've got you to ramp it up a little bit. You know, our, you gotta, you're a prisoner to the, to the Lord, and so you've got to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and sometimes you say things that are a little sharp, and the people are, huh, what? No, hey, hey, hold on. I didn't know the Bible said that. Let me look. And they go home and they look at that and say, it does. Lo and behold, Brother Barry was right. And when that happens, and a person is open to what they're reading, the Holy Spirit takes over them and guides a person into all truth. Because that's the job of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? To reveal things and to guide you into all truth. I can identify what truth is, and I can preach it with all my heart, but only the Holy Spirit can guide you into it, and He can solidify it in your heart. He can really quicken that word and make it real in your heart. That's a wonderful thing. Let me tell you a story I've told you before, because it's a great story. And it has lots of lessons, but I want you to think about this this morning. Forgive me if I'm being simple and being direct, but I'm being simple and direct. I told you a little while ago, and uh, some of you responded and sent me links about the fact that during World War II, there was a race on, especially in England, to develop new fighter planes. Uh, quickly, the armies of, of World War II figured out that if we're going to win this war, it's going to be from the air. They needed to have air superiority. Uh, they needed to have a mastery of the sky so they could uh, you know, fly over each other's countries. Germany was gung-ho to build all kinds of planes and get them over England and bomb the daylights out of them, and they almost did. And so the British were developing uh, planes, and one of them uh, was a kind of a spitfire that they had, very uh, functional plane, agile, could fly long because it was small and light. One-man job had a bunch of bombs on it, and they could take off, do some damage, and get back home and uh, be safe. And so they were test, fu- test flying one of those uh, planes, and uh, it was uh, like a stripped-down version. All it had was the basic stuff, basic mechanics in there, uh, and a seat for the pilot. pilot gets in there. He's got a, because of the height he's flying at, he's got a mask and he's got oxygen. Remember the, remember the story? Anybody remember the story? And uh, 
the, the pilot was flying along, and he's checking everything out. This is a test flight, and he's flying, uh, you know, across the English Channel, and he's over open water, and uh, he's on a certain altitude, and he's buzzing along, and uh, as he does that, he's looking, everything's checking out okay. He's got, in the back, he's got just a, a, an area where there's bombs and, and Bombay, and he's got also all the hydraulic wires and uh, cables and all the different levers that, uh, that are in the plane. You can see it all uh, because it's not, uh, this is a test flight, okay? So as he's looking around and looking back in the plane, all of a sudden he sees something that he never expected. It was a rat. He sees the rat, and a rat had stowed away on the plane. And the rat was back there, and he looked at it like all rats tend to do, chewing away on the hydraulic hose. You ever seen a rat in your attic chew away on a wire? And you go up one day, and you're, you know, here he is, because he made one too many bites. And so this pilot, he looks back there, sees the rat chewing on the hydraulic hose. If the hydraulic hose springs a leak because the rat is biting on it, it's going to leak out. He's going to lose control of the plane. He can't land himself. He's going to have to crash land or bail. He doesn't want to do that. He can't get up out of his seat and go back and deal with the rat. And if the rat gets away, uh, it's going to reappear in another hose, and we're going to be back at the same thing again. He makes a decision. The decision was a fateful decision, and he decides to go higher. He takes off in a, in a vertical uh, drive and goes up very high and uh, uh, keeps going until the oxygen is so thin up there that the rat passes out, <coughs> falls over. He's got a mass, so he's okay. But he goes to the maximum height that he can, and the oxygen is so thin, the rat doesn't have enough energy or brain power uh, to keep going. And so he just... <coughs> Heels over, laying there on the, on the floor of the plane. So he retches back and he gets that rat and does what you do to rats that are chewing through your hydraulic hose. He comes back down to the place where it's safe again. It's an, it's an in, counterintuitive thing that when you're in trouble, you would think, well, if I'm flying a plane and I'm going to lose control, the best thing to do is go down. But he made the right decision because he knew he would survive, but everything else would pass out if they didn't have the oxygen. I mean, it was a great decision, great story. When trouble comes, I need you to think about this, that sometimes it's counterintuitive. You know, we back away or we come down. We, we move away from the, the trouble sometimes. But for the people of God, our instincts are not governed by just normal human response. Our instincts are governed by the Spirit of God because sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so, whenever anything arises, whenever anything comes, you know what we should do when we see trouble in any form at all? We should go higher. When something happens in the church, go higher. Don't go lower. Don't go down uh, to where things get earthy. Go higher. And I will tell you, the world as we know it, and the world we're living in, it's getting more rat-infested all the time. It's getting, it, it's got, it's, <laughs> hey, uh, we, we, we've, got, we've got potential catastrophe looming all over the place. Hey, don't go down, go up. No matter what happens, just keep going up. God's people long to go up. They long to ascend and go higher. So when we, when we look at the, the Scripture, I want you to think about that little story now as we apply it over here. Take your Bible. Let's go to 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. 
Follow me now. We're going to read this little passage here. You've read it before. There's a lot of familiar little parts to it here. Samuel is old. It's interesting that the Bible mentions this twice in the first five verses here. Uh, they mention the fact that Samuel's old. To me, that says that, you know what? Samuel's been around a while, been, been around a long time, told all of his stories many times, used all of his illustrations multiple times. Uh, he's, you know, he's Samuel, been there. And the people familiar with Samuel. He's old. He's, this is not some new minister uh, coming on the, on the scene. This is Samuel in the August season of his life. And when he's old, his sons now, the people kind of look uh, to who's going to succeed, who's going to follow after Samuel, after Samuel goes off the scene. And these first two sons there had a report that was not good. Verse 3, they walked not in his ways. They walked not in his ways, and they turned aside after money. They took bribes, and they perverted judgment. Money and popularity and women, Brother Branham said, are all enemies of any minister but these guys were involved in perverting judgment. And I looked up the meaning of that word, and it means to essentially to destroy the concept of an absolute. They scattered, they scattered the truth. When, when they perverted judgment, it means that it kinda, they, they took away any kind of uh, thus saith the Lord. They took away any kind of black and white. They took away any kind of uh, sense that, hey, folks, this is right and this is wrong. These guys are able to be manipulated by money and probably uh, popularity and positions. I mean, pay these guys enough, you can get whatever you want. So these guys are not exactly holding to, uh, you know, say what the tapes say. These guys are doing whatever, whatever uh, fills their pocket. They're doing whatever feels good at the moment. And they're not going to they're not going to line up with the Word of God and avoid all of that. And you know what? In reality, it's, it's never just for the prophet to line up with God's Word. It's never just for the prophet to seek God. It's never just for the prophet to know God's will and do God's will and be mindful of the direction God wants you to go. It's not just for the prophet. It's, isn't it true that a prophet acts as a spokesman for God, like a microphone, and that word is given for you that we all may seek God, that we all may line up with the word of God, that we all may be sensitive and conscious of the fact that God's got a way. And how a man is blessed when he lines up with the word of God, right? So therefore, this whole idea of perverting judgment was something that God must have looked at and said, my goodness, you know, how can I, how can I deal with that? And all the elders of the Children of Israel came together, and they came to Samuel and to Ramah, and they said, Behold, thou art old. They want to make sure that they, Samuel knows that he's old. <laughs> I'll guarantee you, if you're old, you know you're old. You don't need anybody to tell you you're old. You are constantly reminded, even in your sleep, that you're old. So you don't, young folks, you don't need to do that. We got it. And thy sons walk not in thy ways. In other words... Uh, you know, when you, th when you look in the original language, this is, the, this is what it uh, means. This is what it says. That when Samuel is walking down this path, which he's walked on for a lot of years now, because he's old, right? We've established that. He looks back on the path to see who's following, and his sons are not there. <laughs> My goodness, they're not there. They're, they've gone off the path. They're on another path. They're on a path to personal financial wealth. 
They're on a path to perverting judgment. They're on a path to doing whatever feels good. They're on a path to, you know, making sure that uh, their pockets are lined and their uh, retirement account is good and uh, they got a, a new car and all the rest of it. You know, I mean, they, hey, these guys have gone on another path. So the people, they, 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 they know this, right? The people around in Israel that day, they know this, and they go, they go to Samuel, and they said, hey, your sons are not following in your way. Look back. The whole Israel's following you, but because uh, they're Israel, but your sons, my goodness, they're gone somewhere else. And this is a problem. Because, number one, we got an old Samuel, and we've established that, and your sons don't walk in your ways, so if you don't mind, we've got a solution. And the solution to this problem is a king. And immediately the saying displeased Samuel. Eighty-nine times between Genesis and 1 Samuel 8, a king is mentioned. Kings have been prophesied. Remember Genesis 49 when Jacob told Judah, he said, the scepter shall not depart from thee and so forth. I mean, the concept of a king for Israel was not foreign. It, it It was prophesied. And in Deuteronomy, there are very specific, explicit instructions given to a future king. Whenever you have a king among you, this is what he's supposed to do. And the king actually had to take his pen and his own paper and write out the law so that the king would actually know what his responsibilities and his boundaries were. It was very clear. So uh, the idea of a king is not foreign. But this was not God's time for a king. This was not the moment. And this was really a thought process that the people had gone through and said, if God's not going to do anything, and you know what? We're going to take this into our own hands. Let's go to plan B. Plan B is we'll make a king. And you know what? Sounds good. Everybody agreed? And they would have voted. Everybody all right with that? Yeah, king, fine, everybody. So they come to say, imagine going, going to Brother Branham's house and say, Brother Branham, you know, we know what God said, but if you don't mind, we'd like to do it this way. There are eight seals instead of seven. So it's always important now to look at God's reaction to things. Okay, That's what's important. People do funny things. People say funny things. But when God reacts, that's what you've got to watch. So let's look at his reaction again. The Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people. Give them what they want. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me. This is... This is, this amounts to the rejection of divine leadership. This is the rejection of divine leadership. Verse 8. Look at what I've done all the way from the day they left Egypt to where they are now. Look at all the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the camp meetings, the ministers, the services, the money that has been spent on this people. The investment that's been made in God's people and all I've done, the supernatural. Didn't we just read in Joshua where... Everything that God said he would do, he did. Destroyed the enemies, gave them a place in the land, fulfilled the promises of Abraham. Everything that God said, he did it. And all the people, nobody could find fault. Not an enemy stood in front of God's people. Verse 8 is kind of like God doing this. What am I supposed to do? This is what what he's saying. I'm just paraphrasing. What what else can I do? Can Can I send him another prophet? Can I send them another message? Can I send them, build them a bigger church, maybe? Or maybe they need a bigger fellowship hall. Maybe it's because they don't have a volleyball net. I don't know. God's, this is kind of God scratching his head. Because after all I've done, he says, Samuel, 
Give them what they want. Listen, and Samuel was upset. He cries. I mean, he's, he's upset. He's mournful. And God's saying to Samuel, hey, I know it's rough, but you know what? They rejected me before they rejected you. So before the physical act of rejecting God's word actually manifests itself, something happens in your heart to question God's word before you ever act on it. Before you begin to express it, then something changes in the heart before it actually comes up like, oh, let's make a king. Now, therefore, hearken unto them. Hearken unto them. Verse 9. Hearken unto them. Listen to what they have to say. Give them their choice. Let them pick Saul or whoever. Go ahead. Let them do it. But I don't want you just to roll over and walk out the door and slam the door on your way out. I want you to protest solemnly. I want you to make sure. I want you to make sure of something here. That they know there are consequences to their choices. I need you to tell them again. As if they hadn't heard it. I need you to tell them again what it means to reject divine leadership. I need you to tell them that their choices matter. And if they reject divine leadership, you know what? You're going to reap what you sow. For the next portion of the chapter, right down to the end of it, Solomon, or sorry, Samuel lists very specifically, he's going to tax you, he's going to take your sons and daughters, there's going to be every horse in the kingdom is going to be required to be in the, in the palace. Hey, listen, life is going to be different under a king I didn't choose. And when that happens, and even though you can't see it now because you think your plan is the absolute best, we're going to come to verse 18. And verse 18 is important because Samuel said to them, In that day you shall cry out in that day because of your king which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you that day. My. Or, in my vernacular, whoa. I don't know about you, and I've said this many times, and one day I'll be old and moving off the scene too. Not yet. Because old is always five years older than you. But one day that'll cease, you know, to be said. But I don't ever want to be in a place where God doesn't hear my prayer. I, I don't know about you, because right today, you may not be, you know, on your face before God. I know some people are, have some serious issues and some that are not here that have serious issues. I get that. If I come to a place where I have a serious issue, or you come to a place where you have serious issues, I don't ever want to have God shut the shutter. Or pull down the shade. What a desperate place that is. To have no refuge. To have no place to turn. But Samuel is prophesying here. And he's saying, this ain't how you feel now. But I'm telling you, there'll come a day. I'm just, I'm just telling you what he said. So that, to me, is a sobering statement there. But now you've got to say, okay... This is what the people want. This is God's reaction. We got that. Let's look at how the people react to God's reaction. Because that's important too, right? If God says something about what you just said, uh, you've got to respond to that. 
Are you ready? Verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nope, we got it. We'll have a king. I'm going to go with the king. I'm going to go with the king idea. I like it. Sounds good. Everybody agreed? Yep. That we might also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and went to tell God as if God didn't hear. And the Lord said to Samuel, hey, have at it. What is it that I need to say to this people? Wow. I mean, you're, you're looking at me and saying, whoa, Brother Barry, I, I don't want to ever get there. Let me remind you of a little statement Brother Branham made that I made in the beginning of the service. And Brother Branham said, how God blesses a man that will be true to the word. So the remedy is, give us a king. So they go on, and the next chapter highlights the fact that, you know, there's a king now that's on the scene. And I, Let me ask you this question, and you can think about this, because you don't need to answer, because I'm preaching. But let me ask you this. What kind of spirit is this? What kind of spirit is this? What in the world is this? That The Bible is very clear up to this point. Samuel's getting old. His sons are corrupt. So it's almost like the people got together and they felt like, you know what, it's all falling apart. <laughs> it doesn't make any more sense. And you know what? Uh, God's given up on us. And there's no more, nothing makes sense anymore. So the only thing left to do is what we think is right. And so they begin to formulate a plan. But then God puts, a, puts his hand out and says, hey, guys, there's consequences for your choices here. You reject divine leadership, and you know what? There's consequences for that. And the people still say, that's what's amazing to me. It's not that strange that people would come up with alternative ideas. It's not. What's really incredible is that after God says, I hear you, but you know what? With all due respect, you're wrong. Uh, there are consequences here. My advice to you is not do it. And the people say, we're going to go with the king. We, we like the king idea. It's, we're going to be like all the other nations. To me, it's fascinating that God would actually get involved in the answer to this whole problem and be right there. And the people still say, no, nah, we got it. I'd... sobering thing everybody still okay greater than Solomon is here 1962 Brother Branham says now God in all ages has had signs to the people and when the people believed that sign it was a golden age to the people but when they disbelieved it it was chaos to the people now let me quote that again he says, just so you make sure you got it when God sends a gift and the people believe it, it's a glorious time for the people. But when God sends a gift and the people turn it down, that generation goes into destruction. Sounds like Brother Branham is reaching out and, and applying the same principle that Samuel wanted the children of Israel to get, to understand. That when God says something or God corrects the situation or God you know, uh, reminds us of something, 
And we disbelieve that. Because God is gracious. There's always warning before judgment. God just doesn't look down and say, like look at Nineveh and say, all right, hey, they're a bunch of sinners. Wham, lightning comes down destroys them all. God doesn't do that. God said, I'll send a prophet first. We'll give him warning before judgment. And you know what? It worked. It's not that they deserved it, but God in his mercy. And God gave them a chance. And God, is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't dismiss what I'm saying today because all we've read so far is Old Testament stuff. So, here is Samuel now, and he's looking at this situation, and he's telling him exactly what God's got in mind. And here's Brother Brandon reaching back to that, and he says, It's still true that if God says something and the people believe it's a glorious time for them. I have news for you. It is not only glorious for a people or a nation or a church. It also can be glorious for an individual when they hear God's word and respond to it, and they react the right way. God can bless that person and make their day wonderful. God can prosper you. God can bless you. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we just don't have an answer for it. But, you know, it just feels good to be a Christian. And I'll tell you what, the opposite is also true. That nations can disobey God as we, as we experience. That peoples or churches or movements can disobey God. And corruption sets in. But individuals can also disbelieve God. And it can be one member in a family and disbelieve God or stray somehow from God. Pervert judgment. And, and, you know, gotten off on another path. And Brother Branham said it becomes destructive to them. So Samuel, this is God's instruction to them. Hearken, but protest solemnly. Take your Bible, and now let's go to the Old New Testament. But keep your finger. Put something back there in Samuel. Ephesians chapter 5. Everybody okay? Ephesians chapter 5. Now we find out who's dependent on PowerPoints. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Now, be therefore, Paul says, followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling savor. This is the ideal. Three. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be named once among you as becometh saints. Pretty clear, isn't it? Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this we know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person or covetous man or, who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of, of, God, of Christ and of God. And let no man deceive you. With vain words. But because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. There it is again. Disobedience has a consequence. Obedience has a consequence. Okay? It's, it's, it's not an, uh, like uh, specifically an Old Testament principle. It is a timeless principle. It is an eternal one. And Paul warns us that very clearly. So therefore be not partakers with them. The word partakers in the Greek is the word squatter. So don't be a squatter with them. When, when you're moving along and you see people squat down at a certain place and they're living a certain lifestyle, don't squat with them. Keep going. That's the idea. You see people doing things, even if you can do it, there's some things you should avoid. Some things you should keep walking on. You ever walk by the bitterness squatters? You ever walk by the unforgiving squatters? 
You ever, <clears throat> you ever walk by the, the people who love to use social media to uh, dispute with Brother Branham, squatters? It would be a good thing for you to keep going on that one. Don't squat there. Oh, I'll tell you what, those people get real vocal, and they're real bold. You know why? Because they're in a room by themselves with just their phone. And they feel like, I can squat down here, I can say what I want. Don't matter. I got news for you. God's got a phone. I'm just saying. Verse 8. But ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, so walk like it. If you're children of the light, act like it. What is the good of young people's meetings or camp meetings or family camps or anything else if we don't take home and apply what has been faithfully taught? What's the point? Stay home and save your money. What's the point if we preach it and preach it and preach it and the people say, no, you know what, I'm going to go with the king. I like the king idea. I'm just asking you the question. But what's the point of the effort or the investment? Well, I know what the point is. And I mean, to me, if there's one young person who's changed in those events. I've been at youth, Winter Youth Retreat for 30 years. And we've been teaching and ministering and trying to help young people realize the, not only the potential that lays ahead of them, but also the traps that lay ahead of them. And to do everything we can to help them avoid the traps and Benefit from the blessings of obeying God in their finances, in their relationships, in, in issues of dating and courtship and uh, in, uh, you know, uh, doctrinal teaching and the fact that they're forgiven of things and all of those things. I mean, I've got, I got every note I've ever preached at the Winter Youth Retreat. But let me ask you this question. What's the good? Or, uh, you know, do we stand like Samuel and say, Hello? Because here are the people taking what God has said, evaluating that, and making a decision and saying, no, we're going to go with the king. I like the king idea. You know what God tells Samuel? He said, give them what they want, because you're not going to stop it anyway. But protest solemnly. Say it anyway. Paul told Timothy, say it in season and out of season. Let's be flat out honest and say this. The Word of God is applicable to me and my family. It is applicable to my marriage and my bank account. It's also applicable to you and yours. It's applicable to the Bride of Christ. You don't have a monopoly on some exception that allows you to kind of throw God's Word back in His face and say, No, you know what? I got it. We're going to have a king. And, you know, God doesn't open up the earth and swallow all those Israelites that came to Samuel. But he says, there'll come a day when you're going to cry out to God. God's not going to hear you. I don't want to go there. You? I don't want to go there. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship, no squatting the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of these things which are done of them in secret, but all things are reproved as made manifest by the light. Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. That's what Satan hates, remember? And wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, Christ shall give thee light. 
Here's a New Testament prophet giving New Testament advice to a New Testament church that is still, to me, very applicable today. See then. This is your job now. See then. This is your homework. See then. Do this. That you walk circumspectly, not as fools. That's a certain type of walk, a careful, calculated walk with no squatting. You're looking all around you. Make sure that you're looking at, at things not caught up with fools, but you're acting according to the script. The New Testament, the Bible is a script. How many believe that? The word of the hour is a script. Walk according to the script. If you're children of the light, walk as children of light. Grow up. Realize that there are consequences for bad choices. If you're children of light, walk like it. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Anybody need convincing that the days are evil? Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The reason Paul says that is because you can know what the will of God is. The word unwise, though, is the one I want to draw your attention to just for a moment here. The word unwise, if you're making margin notes, he says, be not unwise. Don't be this. And that word in the Greek, it means these English words. Are you ready? Senseless, foolish, stupid, sorry, without reflection or intelligence, and acting rashly. Let me say it again. Be not senseless, foolish, stupid, without reflection or, or intelligence, acting rashly, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. If you know the will of the Lord, you're not using your brain if you don't apply it, you don't follow it. Because isn't it better to follow the will of God? Can I tell you another story? Getting, getting quiet. First Samuel, let's go back again. But let's go back to the beginning now, when Samuel is young. First Samuel. Samuel is a great prophet, and there's many great lessons here. If you don't mind, let me just, uh, just endure me for a minute. I'd like to tell you this story, because I think it kind of fits. 1 Samuel chapter 2 is the story of the birth of Samuel, and how Hannah, his mother, came to the place where she conceived. And, you know, she says in verse 27 of chapter 1, For this child I prayed. And this is, this is something very special to her and to Israel. The prophet is born. So... <clears throat> Samuel begins to grow, and in the land that day, there is a, a priest by the name of Eli. Eli's old. He's an elder. He's got a couple of renegade sons that kind of make the sons of Samuel look like Boy Scouts. Verse 22 of chapter 2, now Eli was very old. I'm kind of getting a little self-conscious of these many times that God says this. And he heard that all his sons... He heard all that his sons did unto Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, that's not all they did. You go back in the chapter and you can read. And <laughs> these guys, I mean, they were operating, you know, uh, temple casinos. and I mean, these guys were characters. And he said unto them, verse 23, Why do you do such things? For I hear your evil dealings by all this people. Now, my sons, it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. All right, now, we've moved now for, for a moment here. Here's the testimony that's now circulating. Wow, do you hear what they got going on in that church over there? These guys are, you know, taking the flesh hooks and they're 
picking out the choice pieces for the priests, and they're making all kinds of money. These guys who are the sons of Eli are sleeping with the women at the gate of the temple. I mean, hey, news like that spreads pretty fast, right? <laughs> you know how fast it spreads. And now all of a sudden there's a testimony about this family and about this man in position who served God all of these years. And he goes to his sons and he says, what gives? What's going on? Why do you do this? He said, I'm getting reports and testimonies. But you know what? That's bad enough. It's bad enough on Eli. It's a shame for his sons to act that way. But here's the problem. You make the Lord's people to transgress. This is spreading. And you know what? When this is spreading, that's generally when God steps in and says, Hey, this is my people. This is my place. So let's see what God does, all right? That's what's important here, as always, is what God does. And he goes on, and it says there at the same time that, uh, that Samuel grew up. And he was still a young boy, but he was growing up there. Now, 27 uh, starts with this. And there came a man of God unto Eli. We don't know who he is. He has no name. But he comes to Eli out of the blue. He's just, he's just there. He's in Eli's face. And Eli recognizes this is a man of God. And he prophesies to Eli. And he says, Eli, God has seen it all. God has seen what's gone on. And verse 34, And this shall be a sign to thee, that shall come upon thy two sons, and Hophni and Phinehas, and in one day they shall die, both of them. And I'll raise me up a faithful priest. Here's this man of God in the face of Eli, telling him exactly what what's the future holds. Eli listens to that can do nothing with his sons. The Bible says in chapter 3 that Samuel ministered unto the Lord. and God wakes up Samuel one night and tells him all of this that the man of God told Eli and says, I'm going to take apart the house of Eli and all of these things are going to cease. And 12, I will perform against Eli all the things that I have spoken concerning his house. And when I begin, when I begin, I'll make an end. I'm going to deal with this. And I'm going to purge this thing out. Whoa. Now's the time to say, whoa. Even if you don't say it out loud, you can say it in your heart and say, whoa. I don't want to be around when God comes around purging his house like that. I don't know about you. And so, God tells this to Samuel. Samuel has the, uh, the job of telling Eli all of, all of this. And he says to him in verse 14, and therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli, iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offerings forever. Don't, don't mistake the fact that I'm not going to, you're not going to buy your way out of this one. You're not going to offer offerings out of this one. You're not going to attend enough services to get yourself out of this one. You're not going to give enough offerings to get out of this one. There's nothing, nothing now that we can do with these boys. I mean, there's just nothing we can do with this situation here. There's really nothing we can do. God's speaking very clear. And again, you don't want to be on the side of this whole thing right here. Now, chapter 4 is a great story. I love the story. This is where all of a sudden the Philistines show up as an enemy of God's people, and they begin to uh, harass uh, the people and have battles with them. And they're out there on the field, and they're fighting away, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, the battle's raging. And uh, the children of Israel are struggling because the Bible says that around 4,000 people died in this battle. So you know what? The leaders of, um, the leaders of Israel are sweating bullets, naturally, 
Because this is not just, you know, one man in Ai who dies. This is 4,000 of, of God's men, God's soldiers who die. They're all laying on the battlefield. And the leaders of Israel are looking around and they're thinking, wow, something's bad going on here, boys. Something's going down that we don't like. So they kind of confer among themselves and they said, tell you what, we've got to win this thing. And if we don't, we don't do something now, we're, this thing is really going to go under. So I'll tell you what. Send some of the boys back to Jerusalem and grab the ark. And bring the ark out here and put it on the battlefield. And let me tell you something. We'll win then, bless God. We got the message of the hour with us. We got a message of the hour, bless God. We'll win now. So they go back and grab the amulet. Oh, I'm sorry, they grab the ark. You know what an amulet is? An amulet is either a necklace or some piece of jewelry that somebody would wear, assuming it'll bring them good luck and ward off evil spirits. If you go to Africa, you see amulets all day long. So they said, go get the ark, go get the amulet, bring it out here. We'll hang it around our necks, put it right smack in the middle of the battlefield. Bless God, we'll win because we're the bride of Christ. We're, the, we're on the winning side. We got the message of the hour. So they do it. And they go get, <laughs> here's the irony. I've got to read it for you. because Verse 4. So the people went to Shiloh. They might bring, sorry, it was in Shiloh, not Jerusalem. And they might bring thence the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli. Hophni and Phinehas were there with the Ark, the Covenant of God. Guess who's carrying the Ark? Oh, my goodness. I mean, forgive me here, but you've got to kind of wonder what God must think when he sees this ark showing up on the field carried by those two losers. My goodness, how low can we go? Really? This is the time to say, really? So they bring it out. And when the Israelites see this ark, they're going... Victory is mine. Oh, victory is mine. Victory today is mine. They're on fire. You know why? Because now they got the amulet. And they believe that that's going to give them good luck in the battle. And the, the, the Bible says that the noise of the camp rises up. And when the noise of the camp rises up, because they, they took a break for lunch in the battle, Philistines are over here eating their sandwich, and they, what's that? What's that sound? That sound is the sound they, the song they always sing when the ark comes around. Climb up a tree, Hotep, and look and see if indeed they have the ark. Hotep climbs up the tree and looks and says, The ark is there. It's there. The Bible says that they cried. These are a bunch of soldiers. You just killed 4,000 Israelites. And they're just, they're just sweating bullets. Because now the ark is on the field. And they say, we're sunk. Because they had enough understanding. They had enough understanding that this thing is sacred. And this thing is of God. This ark is of God. And they had enough understanding that if, that, if God is on their side, we don't stand a chance. So you can read it yourself, but let me paraphrase. They get together and they said, well, quit ye like men. Let's stop 
whining and let's go out there anyway and fight. I mean, we've gone this far. We've, we're 4,000 to none. So let's, let's just go ahead and fight. And if we lose, we lose. We lose honorably. But, you know, who knows? I mean, we, we, and this is what they say. So they go out on the field. And Israel is saying, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. And they get out there and all of a sudden, the tide turns. And guess how many Israelites die now? 30,000. We've got 34,000 body bags on that field. They're looking around and saying, Hello? Hello? Now, the Philistines are not the problem. <laughs> They're smart enough to realize we got a problem between here and there. Not here and there. Here and there. The Bible's great because it's so clear. Not only did they lose the battle, verse 10, the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten. They fled every man to his tent. It was a very great slaughter and the fell of Israel, 30,000 footmen, and the ark of God was taken. And Hophni and Phinehas are dead in the water. There's a messenger who leaves the scene. He runs into town and he tells, um, tells everybody. He's running. I mean, he's, he's frantic because not only are there 34,000 brand new widows, but the ark is gone. Someone stole it. Really? And the people cry. The people react. Oh. I mean, this is unheard of. This is unprecedented. There ain't no story like this previously. The amulet didn't work. You know why? Because the Word of God is not an amulet. They misunderstood. It's not an amulet at all. I got a little message for you this morning. If you don't remember anything else, I'm telling you, remember this. This message is not an amulet. Just because you bring your ark and put it in the middle of your battle doesn't mean that God's going to say, oh, whoa, whoa, hey, he says he's in the message. You know what? I'll go down and I'll take care of all of his problems. It's, <laughs> I don't know if you, never, if you understood that before we got here today, but I just want to tell you with all seriousness and with all sincerity, because you know, the, the Bible says that Samuel was supposed to solemnly protest to the people when they got thinking wrong that, you know what? This thing is not an amulet. If you want a precise definition of what this message is, Brother Ram says in the rising of the sun, he says, this, the seals, he says, was Christ. So don't try to make God do your bidding. Don't try to make your thinking. Don't try to make the scripture line up with your thinking. Wow. Wow. So the messenger runs into town, tells everybody the news, and I mean, their people are just sweating. I mean, they're just, you know, uh, wow. And 
when Eli hears the ruckus, he says, hey, what's the, what's the news? Grab that messenger. T- have him come here. Tell me what the news is. He's a senior man. He's an old guy, very heavy. And he's sitting on the seat, and he says to the messenger, come here. Tell me what's happened. He says, well, I'm sorry to be the messenger to tell you, but he says, there was a great battle. 4,000 died. The ark came, and your sons carried it. And then 30,000 died. And it was a great slaughter. And he says, sorry to tell you. He says, I'm sad to say, but your sons both died, and they're, they're dead on the field. Is that it? No, it's not it. The bad news is that the ark is gone. They stole the ark. The Philistines stole the ark. The Philistines stole the ark. It was such a shock to Eli. It was such a shock that the ark was taken. Not that his sons died. It doesn't say that. The Bible says that when he heard the ark was taken, he just went like this. Boom, fell over dead. Broke his neck. Dead. Because if the ark has actually successfully been stolen, that ain't good. Because the problem now is not between the, us, us and the man who stole it. The problem is between us and the God who is represented by that. What if your situation, all of you, what if your situation was a test of your character? What if God had something in store for you, but you short-circuited because you wanted to put a king in place? What about, as you don't know the future, but what if God had something in your future, but you short-circuited it because you figured, all right, hey, listen, things falling apart. No one's making any sense anymore. God's not doing anything, so bless God, I'm going to do it. And what if we short-circuit the blessing of God and the future plan that God has for us by taking matters into our own hands? Just saying... What if this whole thing really is a test of your character? Which choice do you think is better? To do the hard thing or to reject divine leadership? Which do you think is better? To do the hard thing, follow God's word? Especially when it's hard. And nowhere is it ever promised to be easy. Which is, which is the right thing to do? To do the hard thing? Or to reject divine leadership. Because that's what it came down to in these stories that we're telling you here. That's what it came down to. If we're children of light, I think we should act like it. Not just sing like birds here in church. And put the, put the message right in the middle of us here and say we're, we're message people. What's that? What's that if we don't take the message and apply it in our hearts? Because God said, I'm going to take it and I'm going to write it on your hearts. What, is it, what good is it if we don't live it in a way that we become an example to the next generation that comes up and see how to live the word? We don't, we don't expect our five-year-olds or six-year-olds to live the word like a, a 25-year-old or a 50-year-old should live the word, right? Right? Because they're learning. They're impressionable. They, you girls, can I borrow you two girls for a second? Come on up here. Come on up here. It's all right. You're not in trouble. Whenever I call for anybody, they think they're in trouble. Stand right there. Turn around. Look at the audience. By God's grace, neither one of these girls, I hope this is true, has any interest in boys or any involvement with any of that stuff. They're not there yet. We live in seven-year cycles, don't we? Seven years, and then we 
you know, kids are focused on their parents. How old are you girls? Ten. Nine. Second set of uh, seven is when they're involved with uh, kids of the same gender, right? No boys allowed, right? It's your motto, right? But they get a little bit older, and then they're influenced. Let me ask you a question. Who are they going to be influenced by? Primarily, first, their parents who are here, believers. They're going to be influenced by their parents, first of all. So they're going to learn by watching and living with their parents and learning that. Who who else are they going to be influenced by? Secondly, they're going to be influenced by me. They're going to be influenced from what I say here. Because they're listening. I watched them this morning. They're listening. They laughed in all the right places. Thirdly, they're going to be influenced by their Sunday school teacher and the things that, you know, provided for me, kids' days, all the other things that we provide to help influence them. Right? What else are they going to be influenced by? What? Peers? Peers. At this point, peers are sort of a big influence, not as real big as it will be. But don't they... I mean, the the, the issue is, is that they're going to come a point in their life where they're looking for example. And they're going to be looking to people that they know and trust and they're familiar with. Whether you know it or not, you young people that are here are examples. You are models of what it's like to be 16, 20, 25. They're not there yet. But they're looking up at the girls and saying, wow, I'd like to be able to dress like that. And I'm saying, Lord, may they not see how they're dressed like that. Or whatever. Sorry, should I not have said that? They're looking at it and saying, well, this is how uh, young people uh, react. This is how they court. This is how they live. I, I want to be just like that. I say this to you and to me. I hope we're doing it right so that we're providing the right example for these. Because they're going to learn it somewhere. And I will tell you this. If we don't put a godly example in front of them, Satan will. Satan will. And Satan knows how. And he knows how to muddy the waters of people's understanding so that people do stupid things. That's why Paul says you walk circumspectly, you walk carefully, and look around knowing what the will of God is, what's right, what do I avoid. Am I squatting in the wrong place? We, we as a body have a responsibility to these. We have a responsibility, whether you like it or not, we have a responsibility to these. Grandparents have an influence on them. Parents have an influence on them. I have an influence on them. You have an influence on them. And the young people's meetings and all the other, all the other things that we have a responsibility because they're going to be looking. Right? Thank you. You can be seated. Brother Branham says, 1961, it's by faith We do everything. I'm not going to be much longer. Believe on the Lord. Believe on the... Say that with me if you don't mind. Believe on the Lord. Here's what he says now we should believe. Believe on the Lord for a job. Believe on the Lord to give you the wife you should have. Believe on the Lord to give you the husband you should marry. Believe on the Lord to send you some new furniture... Or if the barrel goes empty and the cruise gets dry and there's no food and the children are hungry, believe on the Lord. 
Then he says, believe on the Lord for anything, as long as it's right. Just believe on the Lord and thou shall. He said, it shall come. I've never seen it fail in my life. That's, good. that's a good piece of advice. You believe on anything that's right. Believe on anything that's wholesome and pure. Anything that's in line with God's word. Believe on it. Trust it. Look to God to fulfill it and perform it in his season. Don't tell him when. Just bring your petitions to God with thankfulness and humility. And, and, and just say, Lord, I, I'm coming with my petition. You know my situation. I can't change it. I am what I am by the grace of God unless you move on the scene here. So, Lord, I'm, I'm, Brother Branham told me to believe, and Brother Barry reiterated that, so here I am. Now, I'll tell you what, when you believe for right things, and you believe things according to the will and the Word of God, you've got God on your side. And you're not treating the message of the Bible like an amulet, and then you're treating it like the living reality it is with supernatural power that's exceedingly above and beyond what you could even ask or think. Some of you are facing tough spots. Some of you are facing tough decisions and choices. And, you know, in positions in life, maybe you never thought you'd be. I will tell you this. I can't give you any better advice than what he gives us right here, and that is to believe God. Believe him for the things that you can't fix or change. Believe him with all your heart. Whether it's a job or a husband or a wife, believe it. But you know what? Be sensitive to the fact that you've got to do it right because you're responsible. You're responsible not only to yourself and the Word of God, but you're responsible to everybody around you who sees you living the Christian life. And if we're children of the light, hey, walk as children of the light. Can I give you another quote? Time of Decision, 1959. And this time came when Abraham was determined that he did not want his son to marry an unbeliever. That would be a good decision for a Christian today who are sons and daughters of Abraham to make the same decision about their children. Now, it don't make any difference how pretty these unbelieving girls were and how nice a woman they were. Abraham did not want his son connected with that kind of stuff. And so he had to have a time of decision on who he should marry. Brother Manum doesn't leave that as a historical illustration back there and say, you know, it's what Abraham did. Brother Manum said that that would be a good decision for Christians today who are sons and daughters of Abraham make the same decisions about their children. Hey, I'm just saying what the tapes say. Can I read you another quote? It'll be the last one. Brother Bram said in the message, be certain of God. Must have been a dreadful morning. He said, hot, dusty, people was in the streets starving, and the earth was hot, ready to burn. This is in the days of Ahab and Jezebel, okay? And he said, must have been a rough morning, dreadful morning. He said, all of this was a reflection of their sins and their moral decay. So here's God looking at Remember now what God's looking at. He's looking at their hearts, right? And now around them it's hot, dusty, and dry. Crops are failing and all the rest of it. There had never been a king as wicked as they had, for he, he had been taught, knew better. He had, having been taught, he knew better. And he failed. This is a double negative, so follow me here. He failed not to continue to displease God in everything that he did. Or let me just say it. This way, Ahab was consistent 
and always displeasing God. <laughs> he was good at it. It's kind of like whatever God said, I'm going to do the opposite. Don't tell me what to do. Kind of had that about him, you know. And he knew. He was raised right. He's a Jew. He, he's raised right, grew up learning Torah, grew up in the synagogue and all the rest of it. And he said uh, he, he just was uh, failed not to, to continue to displease God in everything that he did. And although he had a great military system and the people uh, were prosperous under his reign, but yet he, you cannot displease God and expect to get by very long. And then in his wedding, instead of marrying among his own people, he went over and married a sinner, an idolater, worshiper of idols, and he married Jezebel. And she was not a believer. And no believer should ever marry an unbeliever under no circumstances. You should always marry a believer. That's what he says. But Ahab had done this evil thing, and no doubt but what Jezebel was a beautiful woman, and he'd fell for what she looked like. Instead of what she was. So many people make the same mistake today and brought idolatry among the people. Bless God, I'm in, I'm in the message though. So what? So what if you don't, if you don't live what the message teaches? The message is not an amulet. It's not a good luck charm. The message is not something that we can use to our convenience. And I'm just saying that, you know, when, when the stuff got embedded in Israel back there, you know, when uh, Hophni and Phinehas, remember those two dudes? When, when they got doing what they did, the problem was is that that began to spread. God forbid God forbid that stuff would get started. Preachers would be too spineless to say something about it. Then it begins to spread. Now you've got, you got a bigger problem. Am I wrong if we draw a line? If we, are we wrong if we draw a line in the sand and say, hey, this is the boundary God's given to us here. We're going to marry this type of... We're going to conduct ourselves as Christians, young people, this way. And we're going to... Stay within the boundary. Am I wrong for preaching that? Do you want me to be influenced by who pays the biggest tithe check? What kind of a pastor would you be supporting if, you did, if, if that was the way it was? You could buy me off like you could buy off the sons of Samuel. Filthy lucre and dispersing judgment. What kind of pastor? Shame on you for supporting that kind of a pastor. At the end of the day, you entrust me to do one thing, and that is to lead you right to the gate of glory. By God's grace, I'm called to do that, and I will, by his help and by his grace. Come on along if you want. It's up to you what you want to do. And this is what God said to Samuel. Hey, let them have what they're going to have. Do you want to have a king? Let them have a king. But give a solemn protest. Don't let them go without hearing it one more time. I, listen, humans are humans, and we, we, we go through things. We, we experience tough times, and all of us know what, what that means in different, you know, grades, gradients. But let me say this. You know, here's this. We live in an age of people's rights, and everybody feels like they've got a right to do this or say whatever they want, get on uh, whatever, whatever media and, you know, complain about this or that that Brother Branham said. <laughs> I said, good luck with that. <laughs> You're going to need it. But you know, one time, uh, Brother Bram was out in a restaurant after service, and uh, he's having a meal. 
woman comes up to him, and she see, recognizes who it is, and she stops, just courteous. And Brother Graham says, oh, he says, you know, sister so-and-so uh, used to attend Life Tabernacle. And she said, Brother Branham, enjoyed the service tonight. You know, wonderful. There's a revival going on there. Enjoyed the service. Brother Branham says, are you a member of Life Tabernacle? She said, well, I used to be. Oh, she said, you're not now? I've given you this quote before. I can give it to you if you want, but we're running out of time here. So she says, yeah, I, I used to be in your Life Tabernacle, but they wouldn't let me sing in the choir because I wear makeup. Brother Branham says, well, thank God for Life Tabernacle. <laughs> Bless God. So Brother Bam doesn't jump in and say, hey, Sister, you got, you got your rights. You should go to the pastor. He didn't say that. He said, thank God for life tabernacle. Because people feel like I can take what I want from God's word and live that. But the parts I don't like, I can object to and still do what I want in the house of God or in the, we got a choir. We got a choir. We got a choir. And you know who's the conductor of that choir? Sister Laura. You know who's Sister Laura's boss? Me. And you know what? If you're going to stand up here and influence these, then you better live right. And if you're going to stand up here and preach, you better live right. And if you want to play the drums, not just the drums, but if you want to play an instrument here and be a part of it and influence these, you better be right. Not perfect, because none of us are. But you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Because you know what? I'm looking out for these. I'm looking out for you too, but I'm looking out for these because they're impressionable. They're at the age where... What's, what's said, what's done, makes a difference. So if you want to get up here and represent this church in the choir, let's get it right. Because you're children of light. You know better. And you know what? That applies to me and you. That applies to all of us. Because we're not dealing with people here. We just want to make sure that this is good. We're good. I don't come here every Sunday to make everybody feel good and fuzzy. I like to go home and say, are we good? Are we all right? Do I need to go back next Sunday and make it right or correct it or adjust it? Or I do that all the time. Because to me, this, no offense, but this is more important than this. It's close, but this is... And I want you to have this, too. So if you've got this, and I've got this, and we all got this... Hopefully, we'll influence these girls to have this. Right now, they're a product of the influence of parents, grandparents, me, 
you, you, you hurt at all? You're dressed like you are for a reason? You don't have, you got your shoes on. You know, they're not like the world. No tattoos, no earrings, no, no, not, no none of that. You know why? Because they've been influenced. Let's, I'd say this, let's continue to influence them until they get this, and then God will influence them so that when we're not here, God is there. That makes sense? That's why I was up so late last night. I just wanted to be sure that this is what I, what I was supposed to say today. No one. <clears throat> no one loves you more than me. No one cares about you and your future more than me. No one. No one's got your back like I do. I'll tell you that. We, we appreciate friends and associates and so forth, but <clears throat> I'm watching over that liar who would lie to you. I'm watching over that wolf that would come in in sheep's clothing. I'm watching out for that dude that will come in and try to disperse judgment. I look back all the time. Make sure you're on the same path. I might be in the lead, but Andrew Boy Scout in Arizona, or in Alaska, when we were traveling across the tundra on snowmobiles in the storm, he said, here's how you do it. And I said, I, I said what do you want me to do, ride alongside you? And he said, no, here's how you do it. Here's how Eskimos travel in the wilderness. They form, they form a straight line because it's easier when the first snowmobile makes a path, the second one makes a, a, another impression, and then we get a hard path and we can go fast across the tundra. Tundra is very difficult and rough to travel. Here's how you do it. He said, you let the lead guy go. And he says, you keep your eye on the guy in front of you. And he says, you're always looking around to make sure the guy behind you is still there. Always doing that. He said, you're looking two ways at the same time. That's how you do it. That's how, watch us. He said, watch us in this line. We'll do it. And we, and we did it. Zipped across, 40 below uh, in the weather. And, you know, we're all bundled up in the, in the Eskimo suits and so forth. And racing across the tundra. We're doing about 35 miles an hour in these snowmobiles. And I got my eye on Andrew because I don't want to lose him. He's my, he's, my, he's my guide. And I'm looking back all the time, all the time, to make sure that Brother uh, St- uh, John Snow was back there. And John Stone, he's back here and... And he's, he's still there. And if he's, if he's going to stop, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull off and help him. And Andrew's going to look in behind. All the time, he's glancing back to look at me and make sure. So if I'm not there, he's going to turn around on that path and go right back and find me and the guy behind me. How do, we, how do we navigate through this world, this crazy, stupid world that we live in? How do we navigate through the last days of, of time here? It's not easy. You're in conditions that are harsh. You're in conditions that are incompatible for Christians to live in, and becoming more incompatible by the day. We travel in a straight line. We travel because God deals with us in straight lines. God's not crooked. God takes us in a straight line. You keep your eye on the guy who's leading, but you look around for the person behind you, whether it's your children or your grandchildren or whatever else. You're looking back, but you're looking two directions at the same time. And I'd say this to you. You keep doing that. 
Because if you trust your leader, that leader is going to lead you to the right place. That leader is going to lead you right back to the civilization and get us to where we need to go. We're in a journey. If you haven't realized it, we're in a journey. And I'll tell you what, if I knew the way, I'd be gone. I'd be gone long before now. I'd be out of here. I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd, I'd somehow try to coordinate, taking all of you with me, and we'd just go. So we didn't have to, uh, we didn't have to you know, uh, uh, deal with the enemies that, that, that pile in, pile up on top of God's people, and pile up on you young people, and pile up on your thinking, and pile in and, and try to mess up your mind and uh, hold you back to the blessings of God. When God said Himself, He said, I want to bless you even more than you want to be blessed. I'd rather go. I'd rather take you all and we'd go. Take my wife and, and my boys and we'd just be gone. The only way I know to do it is to keep my eye on him. And look back and make sure you're still there. If you're not still there, I'm gonna go I'm gonna stop. I'll tell you why, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm coming after you. If you're not there, I'm coming after you. I see these girls doing something silly. I'm coming after you. Not because I want to I want to be some sort of a big boss or something, but because I love you and I love your families and I I care deeply for all of you. God put it in my heart. You never had to tell me to love these people. <laughs> God never forces me to love you. It's there. So whether you know it or not, I'm looking back all the time. See, Sister Madeline there? Sister Lily there? But Johnny's, how's he doing? Is he there? But Caleb, how's, how's he doing? I'm looking back all the time. But I got my eye on something else, too. As if I knew the way I'd go. How's our young people doing? Might need to hold up a little bit here, boys. How's our old folks doing? We're going to come to a dead halt here. I hope you understand my heart today. No one loves you more than me. Sister Becky. Let's stand. David wrote these words in Psalm 66. This is not the King James Version, but this is a version of the Bible. And it reads like this. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. 
Everybody listen. David says, listen up. He says, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. But truly, God has listened. He's heard the voice of my prayer. Where does rejoicing come anyway? I give myself away. Where, where does rejoicing come? Rejoicing comes because we have no iniquity in our hearts. And I'm not, I'm not using the, the message or the Bible as any kind of an amulet. I'm using it as my guide. And I'm, you know what? I'm, <clears throat> I'm content to follow that. I give myself away. Give myself away so you can use me. Give myself away. Yes, I give myself away so you can
myself, I give myself to you. Myself away, give myself away, so you can use me. Give myself away, give myself.
before we close out this morning, if in your life you've got a rat chewing through your hydraulic cable and you need prayer, come on, I'll pray with you. I'll be glad to pray with you this morning. If you've got a problem that to you looks like life or death, I'll be glad to pray with you. God's door is always open. God's ear is always inclined to the prayer of His people. He died for you. loves you. We have no reason, no reason to doubt God. We have no reason to disbelieve that God's going to do what He said. We just read in the book of Joshua there where they settle a land because God fulfilled everything He promised and everything He said. Believe God for a job. Believe God for a mate. Believe God for anything. As long as it's right, believe God for anything. Watch God honor that. Watch God breathe on that. So if you've got a rat chewing through your cable, go high. Don't go low. Go high. Got a problem in your life? Go high. Don't go the default way everybody else goes. Go high. Go up. Go to Him. Get closer to Him. That's the best way. We need you, Lord, right now. Sing it now as we close. We lift our hands and we bow our knees and worship Right now.
presence that we don't always feel in the busyness of life. And in the 
workplace. But Lord, you it's almost like you just press the pause button for a moment and shock us a little. Just to show us something. Get our attention. I think of those Israelites, Lord, who despite how you reacted through Samuel, they still said, we'll still go with the idea of a king. And you never said that you were going to destroy them. You never said that you were finished with them. You never hated them. But you had Samuel tell them again, because peradventure, they might remember that. One day turn around. Get back on the right path. I believe that's the God we serve today. God who cares and a God who doesn't give up on us. And despite our many mistakes, you don't hate us. You don't wash your hands of us. And you could, but you don't. How could we not love a God like that? How could we not serve a God who treats his people that way? Thank you, Lord, for who you are. And Lord, for one, I, I don't ever want to try to be a Christian. I don't ever want to try to be that. I just want to live who I am. I want to live out who you made me. Because this is not me, but it's Christ in me. And that's what I want to live. That's what I want to show the world. Lord, I'm asking that you'd help us and move in our midst now. I pray that you would stir among us as an assembly. That we might be passionate about the things of God. Now, Lord, we might become excited anew for what you're doing in the world and where we're going. Help us, Lord, I pray. Forgive us of our petty differences. Forgive us, Lord, of our giving in to temptations sometimes. Help us, Lord, to do it right. Help us to get it right. Bless the people now through this week, Lord. And may Father you, may your angels just encamp around about all of them. And I pray especially for our young people. And those, Lord, who are learning and growing, experiencing changes in their life. It's hard and the world is falling apart, but you never would have left us here unless it'd be possible to live a Christian life. We give ourselves to you afresh. In Jesus' name we pray.
Give me Jesus. Oh, give me Jesus. 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 Give me Jesus.